0: Hey, welcome back to The Big Esports Podcast. In this episode, we've got Justin Jacobson. Uh, he's a man who's extremely experienced in law and specifically the contract and partnership side of the professional players. So I really wanted to get him on board. This podcast is in two different episodes as a whole because we had to cut the first one short and we still had so much to talk about. So hopefully you this episode. I know I did. Enjoy. For those of you who have also lost your employment or are looking to skill up, we're trying to help here at Big Esports. We have an Esports Fundamentals course, which is helping people to understand an entry point into the employment within the esports and gaming market, whether you're coming straight out of college, university, high school, or whether you're trying to transition from another sport. To provide support for all of you, we're offering a pay-as-you-feel model. So you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash education. If you've lost your main line of employment and you can't afford to pay right now at all that's perfectly fine we're able to offer it up to you for free you can pay now you can pay later you can choose whatever you want the course is usually 127 dollars AUD you can take it now for whatever you feel is appropriate or whatever you're able to afford hopefully this will help a few of you get back on your feet in the short term and also the long term justin we're live welcome hello thanks for having me no problem first question i didn't ask before we went live Explain, explain what's behind you on, on the wall. I'm interested. Um, so, yeah, so that's a double platinum record. One of my
1: clients was involved as an official remix of, you know, the Hey Mama track. So nowadays, all everything related to a single, whether it's the streams, the downloads, the remixes are kind of bundled up together and used for certifying. So,
0: you know, mm-hmm. I'm one of my long-term clients, got a nice little plaque for the wall. Yeah, fantastic. So let us know, like we got a lot of stuff to talk about as always, but let us know a little bit about yourself, how you got into the industry, you know, your history with gaming and esports and what you do outside because obviously you're working with some interesting clients if you've got that that kind of plaque on your wall. Well, yeah, so
1: I'm an entertainment and esports attorney based in New York City and I've been involved in the entertainment and music scene for nearly a decade and helping professional athletes, musicians, songwriters, DJs, fashion designers, really all creative people. And in the last three to four years, I've really kind of focused in on professional gamers and going to like the gaming and esports industry. So in that light, Mm -hmm. I've worked with pro gamers, streamers, coaches, as well as, you know, with some teams and organizations and helping them with their legal matters, whether it's with their contracts or their trademarks or, you know, some stuff you were mentioning like visas and kind of tax stuff just to make sure that these professionals – are doing the right things and, you know, are not getting themselves into legal issues and, you know, are running their business properly.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's, it seems to be a common thing that in esports a lot of time people just want to do the work now and worry about the legals later, right? And talking to, you know, when I was really early in the startup game myself, you know, talking to some people for some advice, they said, look, I know that it, I know that the people you're working with now are your friends and I know that, you know, you're getting into something awesome together. But as boring and as long and arduous as it can be, just get all the legals out of the way because it's like ripping off the band-aid and then it's done and then you don't have to worry about that stuff.
1: Yeah. And at the end of the day, like if you have to approach a business, that's how you have to approach it. And, you know, like mm. you said, everyone's great and fun and friends now until I think we should do A and you think we should do B and, you know, we can't decide and, you know, things happen because that's life. So, you know, you a lawyer always say you got to prepare for these things. Like, you know, yeah. you have no idea what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's healthy. And yeah, as long as you get that stuff, as long as you get that stuff done. But let us know, I guess, to, to frame some of the topics that we have to talk about. Can you tell the people listening the kind of caliber of clients that you've been working with in the esports space? Are there any particular examples you can give of projects you've worked on?
1: Well, yeah. So, you know, I've done in the last kind of season, I did a bunch of different Call of Duty Pro League players working, you know, both with the players directly, as well as some agents, kind of helping them through the agreement. So we've done stuff with some of the Chicago team, the Seattle team, New York team, and additionally, mm-hmm. I've done some stuff in the Overwatch League, as well as Contenders, so, you know, the Gladiators, and their um, Rogue, and just a bunch of the other kind of Tier 1 orgs. We also, I've done some CSGO players, Fortnite, PUBG, and you know really a lot of these bigger games that are within the competitive scene
0: do you see much i guess there's there's so much discussion in esports as a whole right now about franchising versus non-franchising right games like csgo which is fair play open dota 2 compared to overwatch and such and there's it's always talk around the commercial viability of it you know the the future of it and the teams and such but a lot of people aren't necessarily talking about the players Do you see a fundamental difference from your lens working with the players if a player is to play in a franchise league like an Overwatch versus, you know, an an unfranchised thing like CSGO? Is there a lot more of that security and and validity to the contracts and the deals that they're signing? I mean,
1: I would say that, you know, the contracts are probably pretty similar, but these leagues have kind of established player salary minimums and certain Mm. housing restrictions and just, you know, certain protections that maybe aren't in just you know a csgo or a rainbow six contract or a street fire contract where it's like you may get a salary but it's all different and it may change year to year and you know it's all about what you can negotiate for whereas you know the Mm -hmm. overwatch league and call duty have this established minimum while you can make more than that and you know many players do you can't make less than that so Mm -hmm. that really puts you in a very nice position and a lot of these are kind of two-year guaranteed deals. So, you know, it's not like you have to worry about six months when you're going to negotiate your next contract. It's mm-hmm. like you're secure for a year and then you go into year two and then you can start seeing where you are, you know. So it gives you a bit more stability and predictability in, you know, your dealings.
0: And there's, a, there's a bunch of people who'd be tuning in now on LinkedIn, Twitch, watching the vote or listening to the audio only later who wouldn't really have an idea what a, what a contract would look like at all for a professional player. So, so let's say Justin, like I'm a, you know, I'm a tier one overwatch professional player. I'm going to sign with a team. What, what exactly do I get? Do I get a, a salary health benefits? Do I get a house? Like what is the basic structure of, of that look like?
1: Yeah. You know, you usually get like this 30 page contract that has, you know, all your obligations, your streaming hours, your promotional activities, your salary. And, you know, depending on the team, you may get health benefits, you may get, you know, in market housing, whether it's a gaming house or like, you know, they'll set up apartments for you. Other teams may give you like a stipend towards housing if, you know, they don't have a gaming house or something, then it kind of talks about your prize winnings, what percentage you're entitled to, and just kind of your different obligations on behalf of the team. And then it also lists what you can't do, you know, you can't, wear a nike hat if we're sponsored by adidas you can't use you know you can't use rival products you can't Mm. wear certain things during a tournament you have to have our logos on your social media and our sponsors and you know just really kind of list everything that you have to do in exchange to get paid
0: and do do you see major differences in the in what's required of the players between different games like do you find that You know, Overwatch is asking a lot more of their players versus Call of Duty versus Counter Strike, or or is it all pretty standard across the board?
1: I think that most of it's standard, but you know, as you get to these more well known and higher caliber players, a team may want more out of them. You know, you may want more appearances, and you know, you Mm -hmm. may have more value to the team, so you may get more money, but it may correlate to you know, an additional appearance a month, or you know, ten more hours than everyone else, or you know, certain requirements that the other three players
0: on the team don't have. And Are you seeing a lot of these teams going away from that team, team house thing? You know, t- talking, to, talking to a lot of team owners and such, and, and even some players, you know, there's always mixed reactions around a team house. I remember talking to a professional League of Legends player here in Australia, and he... He liked having a team house because, as he explained it, he doesn't have to worry about anything. He doesn't have to worry yeah. about when the water bill's due. He doesn't have to worry about cleaning up the kitchen. He doesn't have to worry about even washing Getting his clothes food and, and all that stuff. Yeah, he can literally just focus twenty four seven. Is just playing the game or relaxing, either of either of the two. Um, whereas other people, you know, the arguments is around you know mental health. And say you've got you know for me, I was a semi professional Counter Strike player. I wanted to go pro. Well, at that time, I had a girlfriend, and now I have a girlfriend and a dog. And it's pretty hard to live in a house, you know, I'm I'm 28 now. There's a lot of pro players who are kind of in their twilight years around 28, 30. If you want to have a kid, you know, it's mm-hmm. a bit hard to live in a house full of 19-year-olds who don't like to clean up after themselves. And, and who are up you know, till 3 in the of... morning
1: every night.
0: Yeah, exactly. So what are you seeing? Are you, are you seeing more people go towards team houses? Less I think
1: that the original trend was a lot of team houses. Like, you know, it cuts down on a lot of costs and you can really do a lot there. You can, you know, make it into a content house. You can really kind of build this uni- this unity amongst mm. them. But then I also think that, like you said, there's a lot of mental burnout. Like, you can't really detach. Like, you know, I had a yeah. player that lived in a gaming house with, like, five other girl gamers, and it was, like, it was great. It was, like, a sorority house, she said. But, like, you know, now they're all kind of in their separate in-market, and it's just, like, I'm able to have my personal life a little bit more. Like, I'm able to really separate it more than I could. And I think as, you know you practice for longer hours and the stakes get higher you need this time to kind of turn off.
0: Yeah. You know, I yeah. think
1: that the tr- the training facilities like these designated places where everyone goes and everyone's together like I think that's becoming a new trend because you know, you're not living together like you have the distinct work and play, you know, like it's mm-hmm. not like you wake up and you go, you know, put on your pajamas and you're playing. It's like you wake up, you go into the office for you know the day then you go home it mm-hmm. it adds a little bit more structure to what you're doing
0: and it's it's how every other sport does it exactly. right exactly
1: like yeah, nfl players live at home they're not living in a a big house with five other guys yeah
0: yeah or well, <laughs> imagine if they all live together oh my <laughs> god pretty, that that would be, be the animal
1: house like yeah. It would, it would, so yeah exactly like you just have to have this time to kind of detach especially yeah. as you get older you want your own personal space. And you know, yep. I think the teams are starting to
0: realize that. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. So like there's you know, something new that, that's to the industry that's coming with the Call of Duty league is the fifty thousand dollar minimum contract. And mm-hmm. be interested in talking to you about, you know, how that how that was received by the players. Was that a bump in a lot of the salaries for, for the players you've seen and, and are I, we are we going to see that coming into some of the other leagues very publicly?
1: I think it was more a for, like, Overwatch League because, Mm -hmm. you know, that was there's a lot more fluctuation on what you were getting from what team whereas Mm -hmm. with Call of Duty and like a lot of the, you know, the deals I did these kids were already making more than that and are still making more than that you know, it kind of made like a baseline but, you know, I would say most players are probably making more than that, so, you know it didn't really affect them as much, but you know, I think that it's nice that, like you know exactly what you're going to get if you make the league. Like, you're not going to get less than
0: X amount. Mm. And mm. It's, it's funny for those people who don't know about esports, and you can never see this from the outside, right? There can be two, say, Counter-Strike teams that are playing on stage against each other. One from Australia, which is a much more infant market, especially in the past, and one from America. And literally one side of the desk could be a collective million dollars a year worth of salaries. The other side of the desk could be a collective zero dollars worth of salaries. And that's mm-hmm. been quite common in the market. So it's good to see like a bit of that that evening out, right, and, and giving everybody a bit of a chance. And part of it is, is um, the discussion we've had so much in this podcast and have seen around is development of the Tier 2 and the Tier 3 infrastructure mm-hmm. and how to bring those up because many games like Dota 2, Tier 2 simply doesn't exist. It's either you're trying to win you're trying to win the $35 million prize pool international well, you or you're know. simply struggling to, to buy eggs and ramen noodles, which is what came out with the Southeast Asian team. They were eating like one boiled egg for lunch every day because they couldn't afford to to do any more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Giving people something to work towards, I guess is is a pretty good thing. And yeah. it, it all comes with the professionalism of the of the franchised league, right? So so for you, like we talked before the call you work with with in in some franchise things like Overwatch and Call of Duty but also some unfranchised things like like influencers and CSGO, etc. What's your take on franchising versus non-franchising? Do you have a position? Do you think it's it's silly to have a position? I'm interested in it. I hearing. mean, I think
1: that there's benefits to all of it. You know, I I understand from the general principle of like we need guaranteed slots we need to be able to get marketing rights for multiple years we need to to have sponsorship deals for multiple years like you know the whole relegation thing worrying about losing your spot really makes it hard for you to invest in a top team who maybe you know maybe you finished seven and you're supposed to finish top five and now you spent all this money on a team that you really can't do anything with now because you're in you know you're not in the major league anymore So it it really kind of made it a more investable property for the sports business and these other entrepreneurs because there's now a lot more certainty. And I think that at the end of the day, you want, you know, Audi and Mercedes and McDonald's and these mega Fortune 500 companies to want to invest and be like, okay, like this is the New York team for the next decade so we can do a three-year deal with them because we know – three years from now, they'll still have the New York Overwatch team or, you know, it it adds a lot more certainty when you're building something, you know? Yeah. And, then, and then I guess the other side of the coin is that, like, this system has kind of existed as it was for so long. You're just kind of changing everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's always, right? a, it's always a tussle for me because people, super common question I've been getting asked for, like, the past three years, I guess, really, you know, since League kind of started going towards franchising and the Overwatch League launched is, you know, Chris, what do you think? Franchise versus non-franchise. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't think there's an answer. And it's it's fantastic that in Fortnite, let's say, you know, we had the Australian Open Tennis here. They had, they had a Fortnite tournament. $500,000 prize pool. I think it was AD across two days. 100000 yeah. for a uh, celebrity charity Pro-Am and then four hundred thousand for the solos competition. The four hundred thousand dollar solos competition was won by a fifteen year old from Queensland, Australia, who's unsigned to any team. He beat mm-hmm. Chinese plays that were flown over. He beat hundred these plays that were flown over. He beat um, there were phase plays in there. There was Cloud Nine. There was there was Raised by Kings. All of these people, this fifteen year old unknown kid, stomped them all. He won. You know, in the last game, he got like seven kills, and he got the win to really solidify his number one place on the leaderboard. Mm. which is crazy and it's good that that happens in esports but that's so much harder to to happen when you've got that franchise league you can't have that miracle Dota 2 run where you come through the loser's bracket to win the international you'd be like OG who kind of you know flail around for a whole year but then really show up in in the last thing in the TI and they win 15 million dollars prize money in their pocket kind of thing so it's multi-millionaires overnight yeah exactly right so it's like you it's really hard for me it's always a tussle between the two and it's it's always a really good case study to look at I think League of Legends and Dota 2 because they're as they're the same genre but they're literally the opposite. You know, one mm-hmm. game has a very they both got very high skill ceilings, but one has a very high entry level, which is Dota 2. You know, League's a little bit lower, which means that it's bigger, but Dota 2 is kind of like, hey, anyone could do anything as long as you're not in trouble with the law, like as long as there's not crazy, you know, scams and stuff going on. Valve doesn't really care a lot of the time. You can do whatever you want. But League is literally the opposite. They, they own everything, and they own everyone. You know, they own the production teams. They create the tournaments. They contract full-time the commentators. They own the community managers. You know, they've they contracted with the teams and with the players, and it goes and down to you know, the players. players'
1: union. You know, they they, hmm. fi- they finance the players' union for their league.
0: Yeah, exactly right. So And that's a really interesting case study for me because, you know, while Dota 2 gets the press because it's got the $35 million prize pool, It's always the thing of me trying to be um, genuine, I guess, with my content and say, look, guys, yes, it is an amazing price pool, but let's look at how much money right funnels back into the ecosystem and how many jobs they've created in the whole eSports market. And I know they pay well because I've got some friends. And the
1: college level that they have is unbelievable. You yeah. know, the College League of Legends that they've built.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like I, I'd always like, and that's why I put in there too, like is it is it even stupid to ask that question? <laughs> like, Because there's really, it really feels like there's no answer. It's, you know, do you, want, do you want a Mercedes or a BMW? Like, well, what do you like? Like they're both mm-hmm. cars, they both go fast, and they're both nice German engineered machines. But, you know, you can pick what you want.
1: Yeah, and, you know, from a business perspective, which is usually the way I approach most situations, like – I understand and you know as especially in the the coming years where teams are required to do in-market stuff you know to get a loan to finance a facility or you know to do some of these things you need this yeah. guaranteed okay like we're going to be in market for 5 10 years so we can get a 10 year loan to build this state of the art facility you know yeah. if you don't know what's
0: going to happen you can't do that like it just wouldn't make any sense yeah yeah exactly right it, it just puts so much more structure but i guess the scary thing always is what happens if that structure crumbles or disappears overnight? Say Heroes of the Storm. You know, it wasn't a franchise mm-hmm. league, no, but there were so many professional players and commentators and streamers that oh, really had the rug ripped out from under them, right? Where one day they were all in a league and the next day Blizzard's like, hey, nothing exists anymore. We're, we're basically killing the game <laughs> as mm-hmm. far as that esport goes. So hopefully we don't see we don't see that again. I, one, one question I forgot to ask you when we we're talking about the contracts, how how do these esports pro contracts Compared to an NFL contract, as far as the deliverables go. So, if you're a starting player in the NFL, as far as my understanding is, the salary is around 350K. So, obviously, it's wild, it's wildly different. The market's a lot bigger. There's a lot more money. But what about what's required of you? You said like a pro player signing will have to do a certain amount of streaming hours per month. I have to do a certain amount of appearances and that kind of stuff. Are there very similar things in these NFL player contracts?
1: No, not really. Um, just because of the way that it's structured, like the NFL player contract is, you know, these um, labor union negotiated standard deals that really more outline, like the things you can and can't do, like I can be traded and what you're getting paid. And it, like and then there you probably have like sponsorship obligations that are like with the team that outline that stuff so like that stuff probably isn't really contained in the player contract whereas Mm -hmm. with gamers that's really incorporated into it because they kind of like make that as part of your salary that you have to do these activities on behalf of our team and our sponsors and you know that's kind
0: of what we're paying you for Mm. and that was always a it was always a, a great point of eSports, I thought, versus traditional sports. Say, Take like the Australian Football League here in Australia, which is, you know, our biggest sport. and They sell out, consistently sell out 100,000 seats at the MCG to watch, you know, quarterfinal matches, not even just the grand final. But how often do you see a player tweeting about their Kia? You know, the team sponsored by Kia and they go, hey, guys, Kia's launching a new car. Like, it looks really cool. Or, you know, here's me driving my new Kia car or come and do a meet-up with me or something like that. And you don't you don't see that accessibility in mm-hmm. that traditional sports market like you do in others. And I think that when you do get that accessibility, that's when players grow really big, like the players that understand social media in the mm-hmm. NBA and the NFL, they're able to not only get a larger following, but they're able to um, you know get their own personal branded sponsors and things it's on there. Perfect. And I and I feel like as far as esports goes, there's two sides to it. There's one which is it sucks because essentially, you know, you could be an NFL player, you could never have to do any sponsored deliverables ever. You just have to turn up and play and worry about that. Whereas esports, you know, if you're being forced to stream or you're forced to, you know, fly to California from New York just to do an appearance at PAX and you don't want to, like all that exactly. kind of stuff, like it, makes, it can make things a lot harder. Um, but yeah, there's, there's always like two sides to that coin, right? Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, exactly. You hit it right on the head that usually these NFL players would be, that would be in addition. Like you would be sponsored by Kia, and they would be paying you extra to do that stuff. It wouldn't usually be part of, you know, your obligations to the team.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and are you seeing those individual sponsorships come through more for the players these days?
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely as more players are really separating themselves and, like you said, kind of building their own distinguishable brand from the team, they are coming, you know, more to the forefront. But at the end of the day, most of the team's have the bigger pull you know if you're a brand you're working with a team you get all the players so usually just get a lot better bang for your buck so you know unless you're like faker or like burgeson or someone who's really set himself in like a superstar tier level you're not going to probably warrant
0: an additional sponsorship on top of the team Hmm. one yeah and it's It's that same thing, right? It's like they're busy playing. And this is what I talked to PPD about, you know, current Dota 2 NOP player and previous Mm -hmm. TA World Champion. And he's saying, look, the players just don't, they don't see it as worth their time to try to develop those personal sponsorships and such because they're hyper focused on winning that $15 million as a team first place prize where, you know, after fees and such, they can hopefully take home a million bucks into their bank account. And they don't want to, they don't want to mess around with, Trying to get a ten thousand dollars sponsorship here, a twenty thousand exactly. dollars sponsorship there, because yeah, like I said, this is hyper focus on you're, getting that big if you're of money streamer,
1: yeah. Then that makes sense because that's where your income is from. Mm. But if you're competing in the professional scene, where like yeah, there's a ten million dollar prize pool, you know, hundred even a million dollar prize pool, like it's going to be rare that you're going to be able to accumulate that much from one sponsor, let alone
0: you know a few. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we, we've talked about, you know, I think like like one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you to get you on, which has been awesome, is finding out things, I guess, from the player's, players perspective from as many different angles as possible. Like, you know, I've been in the history talking so much just to the, you know, the publishers and the Twitch and the organisation owners, and they've always got that one lens. So now I've tried to start talking to the players themselves you know people like loader and PPD from Dota, and i'm I'm working to get some other people on you know skylar and ex-call of duty professional from from yesteryear and now getting you on to talk about that side do you do you feel as i do that there's a bit of a disconnect whether healthy or unhealthy from the business side of things and from the players i i feel like a lot of the time that the business people are making these decisions on behalf of the players without actually talking to them most of the time
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of touches on the point you just mentioned. Like, they're just, most players, and, you know, whether it's an NBA player, football player, or gamer, they just want to focus on their game, their profession. Like, you know, I just want to shoot my jump shot. I'm not interested in, you know, what sponsor I'm using, what keyboard I'm using. You know, like, I'm just focused on winning on what the match that's coming up, on the tournament that I'm playing in. No, you know, you're not really focused on these other things. You know, I think another big thing is how these people interact with each other and kind of the teams and stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I would would really be interested for you or from you is is hearing more about what's what's coming up next for you in in contracts. Like what are you is there anything is there anything particular that you're fighting for that you really just wish that people on the other side of the fence would understand more? Is there a common thing that you always see in contracts you have to kill? Is there a common thing in negotiations you always have to stand up for your players that you wish could just be out there and, and people would know more about?
1: I mean, I think that, you know, my biggest kind con- of, you know, common correction and comment is like just kind of making it a bit less one-sided, kind of taking some of the ambiguity out of stuff and kind of clearly mm. defining things a little bit more because, I do feel like most of the time it's a little bit slanted, too much in the team's control and too much in the team's favor. And, you know, whether it's a really high buyout or, you know, a very restrictive non, you know, with kind of trade clause, I think that these are like important things that you have to realize. And then kind of the other big thing is kind of your likeness and right of publicity rights. You know, Mm -hmm. most of these teams try to get these rights forever and ever. And, you know, when you're not on a team for a couple of years or, you know, on another team, you know, you might want to have these, the ability to license it or kind of make money off of it when you're no longer with that team.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I think that's a – I definitely want to touch on quickly um, before we have to wrap up soon, unfortunately, is, is around that, that likeness and using people's brands. That's, a, that's something that has been hitting the influencer space pretty, pretty hard recently and something that, you know, hasn't been happened very much before where, yeah, a, a brand will pay, say, Ninja – to do a 30-second ad for them three years ago and they're still using it today. But, you know, as with any traditional industry, if you want to keep using his likeness, there's a there's a certain amount of time before his endorsement of you becomes no longer relevant or if you want it to maintain relevance, you either got to shoot some new content or you at least have to keep paying him to use that.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that your point is that most of these agreements should be kind of to the term of the agreement. Like, yeah, while you're with me, you can use my likeness and, you know, maybe for a certain time after, but probably shouldn't be indefinite and you know mm. maybe you do something where after the term ends you do it for you know a much reduced rate or you know some kind of way to continue this or you just try to extinguish it that you know this is valuable if you want to continue selling you know ninja branded headphones or hand- bandanas and you need to pay me and you need to renegotiate mm. and
0: you know yeah. you just have to handle your business like that justin round two here we go let's do it ring the bell ding ding like i said in um in in some of the posts um you know this is round two so for anyone who's listening to the the audio only version of the podcast this is where it'll be kind of snipped together i guess um the first part and the second pass together for those of you who are tuning in live on on linkedin or twitch welcome this is round two unfortunately round one got cut off a little bit short so we made a promise to to get back into it and to chat again so here we are so I've heard this from a couple of different people, and they're saying that the eSports industry and and players and influencers signing in eSports functions more so like the music industry than it does like the sports industry. And they made some references to how an artist will sign with a label. And usually, from what I understand, a lot of the time you sign with a label for a certain period period. But the label is heavily invested in not only distributing your product and getting it out there, you know, CDs into stores in the past or getting you on Spotify and putting you on tour and and really looking after and helping you. They're also heavily invested in growing your own brand. Maybe they'll invest some money into having a documentary film crew follow you around, you know, while you're doing that. Maybe they will help you out with their social media uh, and give someone to help you know, produce graphics and videos and such for you as well. So could you, could you touch on that quote from Yurix? Obviously, you've got a, a record sitting behind you on the wall. So you're probably pretty well, um, you, you know, pretty, pretty well qualified to do this. And, and I'm going to ask the same question to another guy in the, in the music industry in, in two days time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that you mentioned the very unique similarity between musicians and, you know, gaming influencers, pro gamers, streamers, kind of all group them in that world. Is yeah, the label is really invested in building the individual's brand, their personal marketability. The same way an esports organization wants to build, you know, a ninja or a shroud or a Tfue, you know, a prime time streamer or other pro gamer that they have, mm. they want they want to see dividends. They will be able to reach out to Pepsi's and Coke's and some of these big brands to build. Around you, whereas for traditional sports, whether it be NBA, NFL, you know, NHL, any of these leagues, the team is a lot more focused on your performance on the field. They don't really care if you're, you know, have a unique story or you overcame adversity. And, you know, that's kind of for the marketing wing. While they may, you know, pick mm. specific, unique, you know, stories, their primary focus and what matters most to them is your performance on the field. You know, they don't care if you have, you know, outstanding issues, fines. You may have had, you know, issues in college, like Joe Mixon, who was still drafted in, you know, third round by the Bengals and, you know, is now a star running back for them. And, you know, at the end of the day, they aren't as focused on your marketability and your personality and kind of how they can use you as a marketing tool. They really kind of focus on your performance. Whereas an esport team or, you know, a label, Yes, you want them to sell a lot of late, you know, albums and downloads, you want them to get platinum records, you want them to win tournaments, but realistically, you want them to create this personal, recognizable brand so that, you know, sponsors and fans and, you know, the general public will be able to associate, you know, a certain mantra or a certain storyline or narrative with this particular influencer. So, you know, another thing is, is that, you know, labels really invest money, whether, like you said, graphics and images or even PR and marketing people to kind of help bring you on a press tour, get you on radio shows, get you on the right blogs, get you these interview features that you need in order to grow your notoriety. Mm.
0: You
1: know, they care about the social media impressions, how many followers you have, what your metrics are like. Whereas, you know, as you alluded before, you could be a top, you know, Australian footballer Mm -hmm. or you know, any of these major sports, or you can be, you know, an offensive lineman in in football and all that matters to the team is how well you do. They don't care if you have 2000 followers or 5,000 followers. Whereas if you're a gamer or, you know, a musician, I'm sure a lot of people in the industry will tell you that that's what matters that you need to have, you know, six figure views on multiple videos on YouTube and, you know, 50 to a hundred thousand likes on Instagram and, you know, getting consistent retweet and likes and interactions And all of these metrics that really won't come into play for, you know, most traditional athletes, you know, obviously you'll have, you know, the superstars and, you know, people that focus on that angle, you know, say Juju Smith or Peyton Manning, or, you know, some of these more blue chip guys, but overall most players, unless you're a superstar and that usually comes as a result of your performance, it it just really doesn't come into play. Whereas, you know, conversely, you know, musicians, movie stars, models, you know, all these talent driven worlds,
0: your personality, your marketability, your metrics are really what matter. Mm. I think it's a, it's probably a case of a, of a couple of things, right? Part of it is, you know, I was doing some reading that there's a 52 man starting roster and an a- NFL team, mm-hmm. you know, and that's just the starting roster. So if you are play player 37, like, how how much social media time can you really get for the Baltimore Ravens to pump you yeah, up the second say, or, hey, TV or the backup strong
1: safety? Like, you know, mm. no one's going to really know who you are, but like you still get a paycheck and you still are in the Baltimore Ravens locker room and, and you're a professional NFL player.
0: Mm. And that's been an interesting discussion actually that I've had in the past with, um, with esports teams taking so much of the risk. And I talked to Raynad, I think a bit about this as well in, in my last LinkedIn Live, who's a team owner and, and pro player himself, in saying that the business model is interesting because the teams have so much risk. It's obvious that Counter-Strike players, for example, just kind of come and go through organisations quite a lot. It's very rare that a CS team will stay together as a five, for a year or even six months, it's very rare that, you know, you'll even have a core three or a core four that will stick together for a long time unless you say NIP with Forest and Get Right as a core two or say they call them like the Golden Five, the the Pasha, Neo, you know, Cuban, et cetera, that were together for something like seven, eight years. They lost one, they added on Pasha. Um, but it, and, and the, the concern that comes with that is the fact that the players seem to have so much more pull in something like eSports. You know, for me as a person, it was the players that I resonated with more than the team. It was this that I would watch on Dust2 to learn how to take, you know, B tunnels from side. It was Pasha that I would watch and train for how, to, how am I supposed to hold vines, you know, and various things like that too. So it's interesting that, um, you know, while they are putting that power into that marketing, what happens when NIP loses their whole CS team and basically NIP is now Dignitas, so NLP has spent all of these years building up Forest and Get Right. Um, and I think Zist is also in, in, um, there now. And and Flaren's their coach. So they've basically got the whole NLP team has mm-hmm. now gone across to another organisation. And, yes, you know, there are some issues behind the scenes and all, they've been brought forward from the scenes now as to, you know, the relationship between those two. But still, it's not the fact that, like you said, if, you know, if, if player 37 leaves the Baltimore Ravens, you know, decide to, you know, Miami, it's it's not as big of a deal because the players aren't as followed as much as if that happens in esports. So I feel like it can go both ways a lot of the time. And a player would want to sign with the team, um, say like Team Liquid that has liquid media that can really get behind you and help to grow you like as an agency, as the player. But then also that concern happens at the same time that I'm saying, which is, you know, what happens if that player does leave Team Liquid and they go to another team and Team Liquid's invested tens of thousands of dollars in training and raising up this person for them to leave. Kind of, I almost see some similarities between, say, in Australia you can go to ADFA, which is the Australian Defence Force Academy, where you go there for three or four years, and um, I was very close to to doing this myself, um, where you basically get paid to go to university so you can, say, join the army and you can become an engineer and you can come out of it with an electrical engineering degree as well as you're in the army, but you have a certain amount of time that you have to serve then. Mm-hmm. And it says, you know, depending on the severity, if you're some of my friends are pilots and went through that, they've got something like 10 to 12 years they have to serve because millions of dollars worth of training went into them. Maybe if you're just doing a Bachelor of Arts or an engineering degree, I think it's more like four is around the minimum term years that you have to serve after you do that as well. Um, you know, I'm wondering if something like that happens, but obviously that that comes down to contracting and it doesn't sound too fair to lock someone down like that.
1: Well, I think, you know, the point that you're making is, you know, traditional music contracts when you're signing a record deal or, you know, 360 deal, usually the contract is for, you know, a term, however many years, but the label or the publisher, whoever's signing entity really usually has Mm -hmm. rights to the music for indefinite. Like they have, you know, any music that's made during that time period that's delivered to them, they usually have rights in perpetuity and the copyright to it and, that way, even if you, you know, you do three albums on Arista and you leave to go to Sony or Universal, while you're not, you know, the original label isn't going to get your new music, they're still going to have the exclusive rights to your old stuff and, you know, be able to monetize and earn that, which with most yeah. artists, that's where most of their money is anyway. You know, most artists make money off their back catalog while you do have new music coming out you know, the predominant amount that they make is, you know, from their hits getting played over and over again. Mm. So, you know, it kind of, like you said, with, say, a Team Liquid, they invest all this time, money, training you, get you some sponsorship deals and all these things. At least if they can, you know, continue to use your face and the Chipotle ads or, you know, continue to use the content that you made for them, they're at least still able to get some of the benefit. And it kind of is similar to, you know, the the record labels are able to continue to push your back catalog. You know, there's whole labels that are legacy labels that just push and, you know, repackage and redistribute like, you know, 20th anniversary of this successful album and this one. And, you know, they add some bonus cuts and a new, you know, a new release party and a new album cover and, you know, a mm. limited edition t-shirt. And, you know, they're, all they're really doing is repackaging hits that made them money. Mm. And, way for them
0: to try to recoup some of the initial money that they laid out Mm. yeah and that sounds interesting that's it's something that i've discussed in some content before around influencers and ownership of of um you know and and copyright basically to things that they've produced and there's a there's a term there's like a a a, you know term that influencers started putting on that content where that if you pay you know get right in 2000 and 13 When he was, you know, an early CS GoPro to do a promo video for your still series mouse, you can't use that seven years later in a Facebook ad. Um, and, you know, I've seen three to six months has been quite, quite common, you know, to license out these kind of products. And you, you know, they don't want to have that issue where they can't take on a new sponsor. Um, they can't take on a Ford sponsor because, you know, like Dodge Ram is still promoting the content they did six years ago. And that, mm-hmm. that tells a confusing message. And yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting one. And I think it's it's something that's come to light in the past year or two, and you know it's it's something that I've had a lot of conversations with, with influencers as well. You know, one in particular, she's blowing up in virtual reality and TikTok at the moment, and she told me, you know, she she didn't realise she needed to put this in a contract, and she didn't add for a school that does stuff in the games development market, and then she saw herself on YouTube, hmm. like. Twelve months later, she went. What the hell? I don't even. I don't even know who works there anymore. I don't know what kind of content they do anymore. I don't know who they are. It could be completely different. The school could have changed management. It could have sold to someone else. The right CIP. Like who knows? And she doesn't feel comfortable at all. You know, being listed on that. But once again, that's why you talk to a lawyer, someone like yourself.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, this is stuff that you agree in an agreement. You have a time limit or a certain reversion rights, or if they want to keep doing it, then maybe there's, you know, an additional payment. Like, you know, if you want to keep using these same clips after, you have to continue giving us a residual royalty or a yearly fee. And, you know, if not, you have to make sure that their rights extinguish
0: when it's over. Mm Mm-hmm. So the, the next topic of discussion I wanted to talk about is um, we talked about this a little bit before recording and, and now as well is, you know, this eSports and, and gaming as a whole is so new. It's so fresh. There's so many things that we can learn from other industries, entertainment, you know, music, film, sports, um, as to what they've done right, as well as to what they've done wrong. And the, an interesting thing for me too, is what these new industries like sports and, and such are learning from us in eSports right now. But I'd be interested to see if, um, you know, there's some major things that you see, some major issues that esports could try to, you know, prevent getting itself into sticky situations in the future that some of these other industries do. I mean, I
1: think that, you know, what kind of drew me initially to gaming and esports in general was all the similarities between, you know, talent in these other worlds, whether you're a musician, whether you're fashion designer, whether you're an NBA player or, you know, any other creative person is that you're really about interacting and building a fan base, finding your demographic, building your messagery and protecting it properly. So the fact is I saw a lot of similarities between, you know, how a musician or how a model or how, you know, a celebrity stylist or, you know, any of the people that I work with traditionally, how these matters and especially their legal and business stuff is similar to, you know, gamers and streamers and, Kind of these different influencers in this space. You know, it really kind of comes down to whether you're putting out a, a song, whether you're streaming, whether you're competing in a tournament. You really have a lot of similar issues and a lot of similarities between what you need and how you approach things and the kind of protections that you need. And, you know, whether it's accounting principles or forming corporations and LLCs or, you know, mm-hmm. visas if you're going to another country. You know, it's just instead of performing at a live concert in another country, you're performing at a tournament in a country, in another country. So, yeah. the, really, the subject matter isn't that change. What I do think that you see from a lot of the traditional sports and entertainment world from eSports is really a focus on, you know, your digital footprint. How do you really quantify the likes and the tweets and make sure that the metrics you're getting are unique and engaging? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that the days of, hey, check out the new product, you know, are over. And I think a lot of that came from a lot of the gaming influencers and just more creative entrepreneurs taking a product and really integrating it. Like I always think of, you know, the fat Jewish, like jumping into a bowl of SpaghettiOs and it's like, you know, doing something crazy, inter- interacting as sponsor. Well, I know that's mm-hmm. just like in a pop culture influencer, I see has, you know, gamers, you know, if they're sponsored by Totino's, doing like, you know, trying to do crazy, throwing the Cotino up and eating it or, you know, just trying to integrate their sponsor and their product in a unique way. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think traditional sports and music, it was just like, hey, eat this product or hey, drink this drink. You know, they weren't like really incorporating the product. And I think that from esports and gaming influencers, you see them trying to do more than that. You know, they're trying to take that next level. Because that's what their fans want. You know, if you're a fan of, you know, a streamer, Dr. Disrespect or whatever, you love the way he's so animated and, you know, can add his own unique spin to things. And you're Mm -hmm. able to see what product he likes without him holding it in your face and saying, buy this. And I think that that is something that I think esports and gaming have really mastered. And, you know, other entertainers are really taking hold of that and seeing, okay, like, I need to be a bit more creative. I need to find ways to interact with my fans. I need to be a little bit more pop culture-y. Like, you know, I need to know what kind of the memes are and what dances people are doing and be a little bit more on trend than maybe they
0: might have been, you know, in the past. Mm. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. I think, um, you know, a lot of it is that content-based marketing, right? They talk about these days, it's about actually utilizing the products that you're trying to sell um and it does help with the case of esports specifically because you know you're when when you're playing a game you're using a computer using a monitor using a keyboard mouse mousepad headset you're sitting on a chair you're still wearing clothes there's so many more tools that you're using physically and obviously compared to say um baseball where you're wearing clothes you know you might be holding a bat that's about it. You know, wearing a, wearing a helmet. That's about it. There's only a couple, but at any one time, you know, you've got keyboard only companies. You've got mouse only companies inside a computer. You've got a, you know, motherboard, a power supply, RAM, a CPU, a graphics card. There are so many different companies that are involved. And then still you've got a lot of the traditional ones. Sure, you might be wearing Adidas football boots to play counter strike, but you can still wear Adidas NMD shoes. You can still wear Adidas Yeezys. You can still wear an Adidas tracksuit while you're playing in a hat and a bandana or something like that too you know, a scarf, if it's cold. Like
1: right? hem, yeah, like a, a Walmart Red Bull Ninja bandana.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So there's, so I feel like there's so much crossover. And I think another thing that that eSports is teaching traditional sports people or gaming is, tradi- is teaching traditional sports people is a reason why so many are reaching out to me to try to diversify their income. Um, you know, I'm talking with a boxer at the moment who's who's fighting um, in Madison Square Garden and, you know, he's saying, look, I only fight, you know, three, four times a year, maybe at absolute most. You know, you have a training camp that leads up to that. But what about for the rest of it? You know, he's not really making any money. He's paid to show up. The same with a lot of UFC fighters as well. You know, they're paid to show up. And if you're a lowly UFC fighter that's very low and unranked, you know, especially not in the top 10, you're getting paid $10,000, $20,000 to fight. And you might get one of those a year, two of those a year. And, you know, at least 50% of that money goes to management and training camps and travel and massage therapists and a dietitian, all that kind of stuff too. So besides doing the classic of, okay, I'm really good at jujitsu, I should do some jujitsu private lessons. What about, um, you know, playing some games online, being like Sean Sugar Show MLE, for example, UFC fighter, Bantamweight, just come back after two years. But he's been streaming Fortnite nonstop since that whole time, and he's been training that whole time. And now he's uh, once again on the track to reach superstar status, and his Twitch is going to go with that. When he decides to retire from MMA, he's going to have a massive Twitch following. He's got a massive social media following. He's doing podcasts every week. He's doing vlogs all the time on his YouTube. You know, you didn't see this kind of stuff in the past whatsoever, and I think now you're starting to see that a lot more with the 37th person in the you know NFL team. And part of that, it, it's not all gaming. Because obviously a lot of that is just social media culture and people are just posting more on social media, trying to get their own sponsorships on social media and that kind of stuff too. But I think that this is one reason why a lot of these sports stars are trying to get into this gaming aspect of it as well. I say, well, I have a a mainstream traditional audience. A lot of people like to follow me because I'm good at a sports game. What else can I turn that into now? You know, can I turn that into something else without having to be a superstar like Shaquille O'Neal? without having to be, you know, a superstar like Tom Brady? How can I get those personal sponsorships that doesn't require people to spoon-feed me the sponsorship, to put me on a TV, to hold up, you know, and say, hey, guys, eat Doritos. Like, Doritos are great. <laughs> I'm Tom Brady. I approve this message. I'm sure he wouldn't, judging by what he eats. But, you know, that that kind of stuff too. But what what's it up to that they can go out and hustle and get that Dorito sponsorship themselves from the, you know, local Doritos representative in your state, even not from the not from the global, but get that 5K cash in hand and, and do a Doritos week where they stream Fortnite every day, you know, and they have yeah, to eat a Dorito chip yeah. every time they get a kill. Sorry, um, what was that? Yeah, exactly, while eating Doritos. Yeah, 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 exactly. And you're right, it's about that, you know, touching on like what you said again, it's, it's about that content marketing. You know, we used to work with a lot of um, people who did reviews when I was at Corsair, you know, and, and Corsair is a computer components company, work with a lot of YouTube reviewers, and I would supply them with test bench systems as much as possible. Because it made perfect sense then. And then every single time that Tech City is doing a review of a product, um, say he's testing out a new um, CPU, he's using Corsair RAM and a Corsair power supply, and he's using, you know, Corsair fans to cool it, and a Corsair cooler to cool the CPU. And then it shows that, hey, Corsair is high-quality products, which, which they actually are. I don't work there anymore, they don't pay me, but they're very obviously high-quality products. And it just means that they're the best. I wouldn't use anything else to test Bench CPU with. I would only use Corsair because it's going to give me the best results and I take my job seriously. It's kind of a similar way why, you know, every single cricket um, star has a bat that's sponsored because, you know, they're the highest... Run hitter in cricket. Well, obviously they're using the best bat. Here's a gray nickels bat or, or every single, you know, uh, football player has, has a, you know, personal, say, Adidas or Nike sponsorship or something like that as well. Well, if you want to be Ronaldo, you need to wear the boots that he's wearing and things like that too. So utilizing the products that you're actually sponsoring. I think that's a big thing that we're, that especially that you talked about, right? It's no longer just that disconnect. And I think that esports fans really don't enjoy that at all. They don't want that, you know, Um, cut from the broadcast to watch seven minutes of ads and a lot of it is just someone holding up like a Pepsi and saying, hey, I love Pepsi. You should love it too. They want to see someone actually using it. They want to see someone like, you know, Chuck Pepsi and Mentos together. They want to see someone, you know, doing a Pepsi chug challenge (laughs) who can drink two liters first and not throw up and things like that too. Like it's, yeah, yeah, that's what they want to see.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that the point that you're bringing up is that there's a lot of ways for you know, non superstar athletes and entertainers to kind of put themselves front and center and engage with their fans in a totally new way. You know, I've definitely talked with a bunch of NFL and NBA agents to kind of help Mm -hmm. them consult with their players on how do you do things properly? How do you bridge from traditional sports into gaming? You know, as you know, a lot of these guys love playing games, whether it's, you know, sports games like Madden and 2K and FIFA, or, you know, Fortnite and Call of Duty and, you know, any of these other kind of shooter games. And the biggest thing that I've been harping on is you have to do it right. It has to be authentic and it has to look professional. You know, I know recently that a player on the Dallas Cowboys was, you know, reaching out to a bunch of the Mavs gaming guys to play 2K with them and went to the Mavs gaming facility to play around with them, and make some content. And he's, You know, I've never heard of him. You probably never have heard of him. Like, I think his name is Jordan Lewis. Who knows, you know, where his career is going to be. But I know about him now. You know, people in the 2K community are now familiar with him. Like, he's playing with kids in the community, he's, you know, ingratiating himself. And if I was his agent, you know, I could be like, okay, well, maybe I can reach out to a HyperX or a Corsair and be like, you know, my guy's on this team. He's already doing this and this. You know, send us a headphone and, you know, we'll do some stuff and what's Bill from here. You know, I'm seeing a lot of traditional agents understanding that these are, like you said, ancillary new income streams that mm. they otherwise would not have them, but that it has to be done right. You have to look the part. You can't just quick start and start streaming and expect, you know, major brands to want to advertise on your stream. You need mm. to consistently do it. You need to have the nice OBS, you need to have graphics in place. You need to look the level that you're at. And I think that that's, you know been my biggest pointer and kind of advice to these individuals is like, you have to do it right. And it goes back to the point you just mentioned is that the gaming fans can see right through it. They don't want to have, hey, use my HyperX hat, I love it. They just want to see you using it and you just consistently using it over time And the fact that you're using it, like you said, coincides with the fact that it's a great headset and I'm having a good time gaming and it's, you know, I'm not losing people because it's wireless and it, you know, drops. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I really think that there's a whole new lane, but it has to be done right. And Mm -hmm. you can't just wake up one day, okay, I'm a streamer now. I love gaming. Like, you need to go into it properly and, you know, real avenues can open up.
0: Yeah, and that's that's a very important thing that you said at the end there is is the authenticity, right? And that was a lot of the advice that I gave to you know, one of the boxers that we're doing a bit of work with, go to Julian or Hammerhands. It's nineteen. I know him. Okay.
1: Yeah, there you I, go.
0: I, he's from, I, he's from, he's from New York.
1: He came to my my charity event. He signed a pair of boxing gloves that we offered auctioned. Off. Yeah, there you go.
0: Yeah, so you know, part of my advice to him was, I understand you've been a gamer like your whole life, and I understand you like to play games, but your fans don't know that and if you suddenly just go hey guys i'm live on twitch you know i'm i'm a gamer now everyone's going to be very confused and I say well hey i don't follow you for this content B, I i never knew you played games at all see it just looks like a cash grab a lot of the exactly. time so i said you know for what you should do is start integrating some of it into your instagram stories into some of your content to start you know just posting an insta story saying hey guys chilling out with fifa today exactly. you know help me help me pick a help me pick a team um, and you know Just casual things like that, and then you can start to push yourself further and further and further into it because if you suddenly just come out of nowhere and start streaming, it's not going to look that great. And we've had that in the past. We've had some lifestyle influencers we work with who want to get into gaming and streaming We help them, but a lot of the time their audience was quite confused and they had been playing Fortnite every single day. They just never really talked about it on Mm the Instagram stories and never really talked about in their content. So they weren't in people's minds as, as a gamer and that caused a bit of confusion for people. And definitely like what you were saying too is, you need to have that certain level of professionalism and understanding. And we had this issue a lot in the past is it's hard to stream on Twitch. It's so hard. If someone doesn't have that inherent like nerdy computer knowledge through years and years of just using PCs and trial and error like like I have and a lot of other people who come from the gaming industry... You don't know how to troubleshoot problems. You know, you don't know what to look out for. Is it an internet problem? Is it a graphics card problem? Is it a computer problem? Is it a networking issue? Like what's going on right now? You don't know how to, you know, if you're not setting up your own stream, which a lot of these people aren't, then you don't know how to fix problems. Maybe an overlay is slightly wrong and your manager's not available. You know, how can you change that overlay live? It's a bit hard. You know, inter- interacting with the chat while you're streaming is also hard too. So getting like a bit of testing. And we did some offline streams like that where we created like a fake Twitch account and got them to stream and then just practice scene switching. You know, we were in the chat talking to them, getting them to practice, you know, playing and talking to the chat at the same time. But it's not It's not that easy.
1: It's not. Yeah, it's not, it's not that not natural. That it's not a natural thing. And like that's something even the gamers I work with, it's a skill that you acquire. Like you need to be able to learn how to play at the high level while also interacting and in, you know, reading comments and talking back because that's half the fun, especially if your viewer. is like, oh, he answered my question or he acknowledged me saying hi or something like. like to me that's the most exciting part about this is that you actually know that you know streamer A is there reading the tweet. And responding to your comment, you know, it's that to me is the most genuine part of it, and what is the most exciting for
0: a fan or any viewer.
1: Mm, mm. So, what what
0: are some what are some things that that um, these industries do that we should not do? Are there any major fallings of of these kind of places that we can look out for and not fall into? You just got to be
1: smart with what you say and how you say it. Like, you know, for any industry, what you say, especially in the digital world, is probably going to last forever. And if you're live on stream and you say, oh, bubble, you know, like you have to realize you're live on stream and somebody could clip that. And, you know, we've seen mm. people lose sponsorship, lose opportunities, you know, because of mistakes that they made. And I think that you definitely see issues tra- in traditional sports and, you know, gaming recently with people saying something on stream that they didn't mean. It's just coming out not properly. Like, you know, all it takes is you to react in an instant, to change everything forever. You know, and I think that that's just something mm. that is prevalent within all this stuff. And the fact that you could be live on stream right now and, you know, X, Y, Z happens, you look down at your phone or, you know, you don't realize that you you pick up your phone and answer while you're on the stream and, like, people can hear you or they see a number that maybe they shouldn't have seen. Like, you know, there's a lot of things with just kind of etiquette and understanding mm. how this all works. You know, most of these guys aren't used to whatever they're doing being that accessible. Like, you know, while you're on the field, unless you're mic'd up, like, no one's going to really hear what you have to say, especially on the sidelines, especially while you're in the heat of battle. Whereas with gaming and streaming, like, you're hooked up 24-7. So anything you say, any mannerisms you do, like, it's there.
0: Mm, it's I'm and, and kind of re-explaining, like, what I said before. It's it's like it's so much more focused on the individual in gaming and esports. And we we've said this in a ton of different ways compared to say the NFL, once again, an obvious example where you know in CS you've you've only got five players plus a coach. So you can see them at all times when they're playing in a tournament. You can hear them at all times. You know, they're very present, they're very obvious. And it's it's almost like you've got these fanatical little communities now, like in influencers as well. I'm learning about new kids that stream you know, I say kids as in literally kids, you know, 15-year-olds that stream and and are on YouTube in Fortnite with 100,000 subscribers every couple of days. You know, I'm seeing a new channel with 100,000 subscribers, someone I've never heard before, that has a slightly fresh take on the kind of content that they do in the industry. And hey, they might hit a million, they might never get over 150k, who knows? But there's so many of those people now. They're everywhere. And it seems like everybody is laser focused, like on the individual around, and maybe not so much on the team. And I think there has been a little bit of research into it, and I'd like to see some more around, you know, what do people resonate with more in esports versus traditional sports especially? Does someone resonate with Fnatic or 100 Thieves or FaZe more so than they do with Banks from FaZe or JW, you know, legendary Fnatic CSGO player or, you know, one of the one of the amazing 100 Thieves League um, of Legends players top tier? You know, do they resonate more with the brand or the player? Is it a bit of a 50-50, and how does that compare to sports, does someone does someone know more about Shaq or more about the team that he played for? For for me, on the outside, I don't know what team he played for, but that's because I'm not an NBA fan, so I couldn't really tell you. Um, and you know, it's Michael Jordan, I yeah, could, yeah, and you know, things like that too. But it's it's interesting to me you know, following the players, I guess, through my journey and me personally. You know, I do have some teams that I enjoy, you know, in a scene sense, you know, people like FaZe and Hunter T's pushing the boundaries. A lot of in the past when I was younger, you know, I was a fanboy for Fanatic because I really enjoyed, you know, A, they, they had a dominance period in Counter-Strike 1.6, but also I enjoyed their branding. I think they took branding and marketing much more seriously than any other team did at that time mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff too. But, yeah, it's a really interesting thinking piece like, you know, reiterating the reiteration of what we said a hundred times is that people are so much more in the spotlight now in gaming and esports there's less players on the field in quotation marks there's more time in the spotlight for everyone across social media it's a digitally native audience everyone's paying more attention to everyone all the time and you can't fade into the background as much as you used to be able to in the past for better or for worse because it allows you to sell more sponsorship It allows you to be more active and gain more fans and followers and allows you to pivot into other things, into commentary, into content creation, into, you know, social media influencing after you finish your play play career, but also it comes with those issues. Like you were saying as well, you're always on and, you know, everyone knows in the industry the PewDiePie adpocalypse that came through, through some stuff that he said on stream and that had a major effect, you know, it lost him Disney contracts, it lost a lot of YouTubers a lot of money. With people that you know started pulling out of you know edgy style content, and it changed the way that YouTube monetized, you know, the algorithms that they search to to auto unmonetize videos and all that kind of stuff. It, it kind of boiled down to to one moment in one stream, huh.
1: right? Changes that mm. history, changes everything. Just that one instant, one lapse of
0: judgment, and you can't take it back. Mm. Mm. So, what's the focus for you working with these? You know, is there, a, is there a passion? Is there something you're trying to fix? Is there something you're trying to help? Are you just wanting to make sure that you use your experience to, to guide these people as best as possible? Like, you know, we, we kind of talked about the similarities you saw, but I want to know a bit more about the why, like why get into this industry?
1: I mean, I really am all about, you know, helping creative talent achieve, you know, whatever they're trying to do. You know, if you're a gamer and you're trying to build this fan base and, you know, make yourself as the all-knowing 2K guy or the best dribbler or, you know, I'm the best sniper or, you know, I'm the best at, you know, this certain character in Smash or Overwatch or whatnot, I think mm. that my favorite part is helping them achieve that and doing it right and doing mm. it legally. Because at the end of the day, if you do everything right and you get successful, but you didn't do the initial things properly, you're going to have issues later. You know, like you were saying with, you know, maybe you were just so excited that Toyota wanted to give you money to do some content. You didn't think about three years from now, you know, Mercedes or Audi is going to want to do content with you. And, you know, because you never properly, you know, terminated or had some kind of, you know, sell-off runoff period with your prior sponsor, you get into a problem where you can't have it. And it's just like, if you had someone in your corner from day one, they would have acknowledged, okay, well, everything is great with them now, but you only have a three-year deal and there's no option renewal. So after three years, you know, they don't have to pay you anymore, but nothing says that they have to stop using your name and content and et cetera. Mm -hmm. And that would be something that someone a professional like myself would focus on and be like, okay, like this is what's going on now, but you have no idea what the future is going to hold. So if you don't plan for things now, very reasonable thing. You know, we're not saying, you know, pay you $2 million, you know, a year to use a piece of content when they were paying you $5,000 a year. You know, maybe they're paying you half that for two years or, you know, and a sunset clause is where the following two years it goes down the next, you know, and they kind of phase you out and they bring in new people. You know, it's just kind of understanding, the greater scheme in being able to help navigate people to do that. You know, I also just really love gaming and kind of the personality. Like I see a lot of similarities between, you know, the creative people whether they're rappers or DJs and producers that I work with and you know, just the way they interact with people, what's important to them. Um, you know, how they want their message received. You know, when you're an artist, you really care about your final track and the mastering and the editing and you know, the artwork and, you know, just even the way you spell things, whether things are capitalized, how you space things, like you're really Mm -hmm. particular because this is your grand vision. And I think with, you know, gaming and esports, is you're really particular in other things, you know, whether it's your gaming settings or the controller you use, the microphone, the headset, like the chair, you you know, these are all things that are really important to you. And, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to make sure you have them is, you know, kind of really important.
0: Yeah. I think, I think part of it is the education I had to go through myself of understanding exactly what a lawyer does. Hmm. I think a lot of the time you think that, you know, the lawyer is the person you call up to sue someone. Um, and that's about it. You know, you sign the contract and if something goes wrong, you know, and that's what happens in the movies. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, think about like, uh, you know, common show suits, for example, pretty much the only stuff they're working on is like, you know, someone's going to be, put in jail is going to be the death penalty. Someone's going to lose their company, their business. That's the only real stuff that they work on. But sure, you know, there are laws like that exist, but that's only one part of it. And I think it's understanding that a lot of the time in business or in talent that a lawyer is is a pseudo manager a lot of the time. You know, they're providing advice to you, you know, as to the direction that you should go forwards. And, you know, setting up my company, my lawyer, and I had a lot of 30-minute to an hour chats being like, you know, Chris, this is what this clause means. And these are the issues it could cause in the future. And here's why it might be good to change that. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of these kind of conversations and taking that time to explain to them, you know, this is why I'm telling you that this may be a good idea or maybe a bad idea. And here's some ways that I've seen this go bad in the past you know, that I can help you. And, you know, while everything's amazing right now and while, you know, I'm not very patient and I know a lot of other people in the industry aren't either. We want to get that deal signed. We want to get that work done. Sometimes you could be screwing yourself over. Sometimes people act in bad faith or sometimes people just don't know or they just make assumptions. Definitely have had that happen before where, I just assumed that I could just use that content forever. And you're like, no. (laughs) And I think that's that's what happened in this case with, with this influencer I know who, you know, found herself on a YouTube ad um, however many years later, you know, she just assumed that she was going to do the ad. They were going to do the run. And then that was it. And I think they just assumed that they had the rights to it forever, but there was no conversation either way um, from either side. So, yeah, and there was yeah. no
1: one to bring that to her intention that this might be something you might want to discuss that when your deal ends with them, they might still want to use that content. And if you mm. don't want them to use that content for, you know, whatever reason it may be, then you need to have that in there. And, You know, kind of what you kind of go back to your initial point about, yeah, like a lawyer isn't just about, you know, oh, I have a problem, sue this person. It's a lot of it's very preventative, like, okay, like I want to do this. Okay, great. So we're going to help you actually achieve it legally and smart and cost efficiently and keep you out of pitfalls and issues that you might not have realized even existed. For instance, that one where like Mm. you didn't even think that when you were done with them, they would want to still use your ad but that's because you didn't even realize that there was a possibility that they would continue. But, you know, when I pointed out to you, it was like, oh, okay, well, you know, there's no sell off period, which is, you know, in merchandising deals, if, you know, say you're licensing a fanatic logo to make t-shirts or, you know, keyboards or whatever, you don't want this company to be able to sell these keyboards indefinitely with your logo on them because you might not be able to go to another team, you know, another company that makes them. You might just be totally, pigeonholed because they may be selling these for $20 less than the other company may. And unless you Mm -hmm. have a language that kind of is a stopgap or says, you know, you have this much of a sell-off period, it's called. And, you know, at that time you have to destroy whatever you have, or we can buy it back to you at a reduced rate. Like, you know, there's things called, you know, anti-dumping and stockpiling where you can't at the end of the contract, just dump everything in the 99 cent bin and just destroy the whole market. Or Mm. like, you know, stockpiling where, you know, you have two months left and you put in a huge order for like a 100,000 new pieces, which you know you're never going to sell in the next month or two when you've been selling, you know, a 1,000 pieces a month. But you do it so that you have all this merchandise that you can just keep selling. So Mm. not even knowing that this is a possibility might set you up for, you know, potential repercussions that, yeah, like. There's a fanatic keyboard for $39.99 and one for $79.99. Where do you think people are going to buy most of the time? You know, you're probably going to go to the $50 keyboard over the $80 keyboard. Mm. So, you know, these are things that, you know, any attorney who does this would, you know, pick that out in a second. Like, like, yeah, no, they can't just sell this product indefinitely. There has to be, you know, a cutoff period. There has to be some mechanism here to prevent them from just flooding the market you know, an undercutting mm. competition. So I think it really just kind of comes to understanding, you know, there are things that are in these agreements. A lot of it is very negotiable. I always say they call it negotiations for a reason. It's not take it or leave it. You know, if a situation is take it or leave it, they might as well just call it that way. You know, mm. and if that's what it's going to be, then don't tell me that I have a right to negotiate this. Like just mm. say, this is the deal. You know, if you like it, son, if not, like have a nice day. And Mm -hmm. while most people in the entertainment, you know, in esports world, that's not how they operate. I don't know of that many businesses that kind of operate like that. You know, it's just not the way this works. While you may not go from, you know, $1,000 to $2 million, you know, as long as you're in the ballpark of what you should be talking about, I don't ever think that it's unreasonable to try to negotiate a deal. And, you know, I think it's just an understanding of, like you said, like, I need to understand what's going on in this agreement. I need to understand the long term ramifications. I need to really understand what's going on because, yeah, I can read it and I can look at the numbers and the time frame and certain things. But if I don't even know that, you know, there's such a concept as, you know, sell off period or, you know, I had the right to revert back my rights, you know, talking about music, like if, you know, a record label doesn't sell your stuff in a certain amount of time you may have the right to buy it back from them so you can go sell it elsewhere. But if you didn't even put that language in there or you made the reversion like, you know, seven years or 10 years, 10 years from now, the music will probably be worthless, you know, and outdated. And who's going to really want 10 year old music. But if it's like a six month or a year and a half or a two year period, you might be able to then go take that music and sell it elsewhere. But if you didn't even know that that was a concept that existed, then you wouldn't have asked for it, you wouldn't have negotiated for it and, you
0: know, you wouldn't have had a chance to get back these rights. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And I think a lot of what you're saying is that, you know, A, reiterating once again, like a lawyer, the same as an accountant, is is kind of, a, you know, an advisor a lot of the time. They, they are like a studio manager sitting on your side because you pick the ones that have the experience, you know, and I think for me, you know, I use a, a sports lawyer locally, sports and entertainment lawyer who has been in esports for a while. And similar with my accountant as well, you know, he's an angel investor in any sports team. He's been playing games his whole life. So both of these people understand how traditional scenes work because, you know, my accountant also does, you know, local businesses and, you know, SMBs and things like that too. But he does an esports team. And the same with my lawyer, you know, he does rugby league in Australia and he does cricket and, you know, these kind of sports and soccer, but also at the same time. You know, he deals with players and, and sports, uh, and esports, you know, across both of the sides of things and, you know, is able to make those informed decisions to help to draw those, you know, cross references, right? Across those different industries. But yeah. what, so what, what's coming up next for you? Is there anything interesting you're working on at the moment? Is there any kind of contacts you're looking for? Any roadblocks you're looking to solve? Well, yeah, you know, I've, I'm
1: really kind of focused on, you know, the educational side of esports, you know, whether it's more written materials or trying to help develop, you know, instructional classes. To help kind of teach the next generation of esports professionals or even just people that are in the space already, pro gamers, influencers, creators, like to understand Mm -hmm. some of these concepts that I mentioned, you know, to trademark your gamer tag, what the value in protecting your gamer name is, what you can do with this asset you know understanding the way visas work understanding you know corporations and tax write offs and how to really operate your business like a business so i'm mm-hmm. really kind of focused on creating you know materials and curriculum that explain this and can educate individuals on how to do this properly and you know there really aren't that many people who have extensive experience with a lot of these major team agreements and the franchise league agreements and you know, I think mm. that it's important to be able to start, you know, educating in you know, whether it's college or law school or even, you know, the high school level, people that are really interested in this stuff because this is definitely the future. And somewhere the way, you know, someone goes to school to become an, a music attorney or a fashion lawyer or a sports lawyer, people are going to and are starting to go to become esports lawyers and, you know, be in the gaming space and work with professional gamers and organizations and companies that kind of live in this space so you know my mm-hmm. biggest thing has just been kind of working on trying to develop you know course materials and you know text for
0: it yeah fantastic and if anyone who's who's watching live on twitch linkedin listening to the voter audio only version of the podcast where can they follow you to to get this education um, so check me out on twitter justin j esq it's
1: Justin J E S Q. My DMs are open. So feel free if you have any questions or just want to, you know, chat, shoot me a message. And, you know, jacobsonfirm.com has a lot of different articles that we've written already. So you know, click mm-hmm. on the
0: esports tab and, you know, get at it. Yeah. Have fun. Yeah. It was, it was great to chat again. And I think a lot of it really to round that out. It's like reiterating what I was saying before. I think it's important to learn exactly what an esports law or what a lawyer is for. I think that was a learning experience for me because, you know, movies and pop culture and what have you, you know, is definitely um just tells you that a lawyer is there to sue someone. And that's about all. And they're evil and you yeah, know, they're it's not. not on, uh, but, you know, we're not <laughs> prosecuting rapists and murderers constantly. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think a lot of it is understanding that, you know. I think listening to a couple of audio books like The Millionaire Mindset and The Millionaire Next Door, a lot of that too explains that, you know, people people who are, you know, kind of these self-made millionaires, they will overspend on things like accountants and lawyers. They won't go for the cheapest one, the first one they find. They'll go to one that's recommended to them and they'll go to one that is likely more expensive. But these are the same people that won't spend more than $15 on a haircut and $20 on a pair of jeans and $25 on a pair of shoes ever, you know, as according to this research in the book as well but they understand the power of actually going to someone who has knowledge in what they do. And <clears throat> it was a big part in a, in a podcast that I did ages ago with Thunder Insurance, kind of asking them like, okay, can you explain in layman's terms, like what the hell does a $10 million public liability mean? Like why would someone ever need $10 million? But explaining that, you know, okay, what if 30 people get hurt? What if you hurt a surgeon who's on a 1.2 million dollar salary a year and they're the only, you know, specialized person to do this certain type of brain surgery. You know, out of out of anyone. Then, you know, that's that's when that kind of stuff, you know, comes into play. What if there's property and people, you know, we discussed all those kind of things. And similar to like what we talked about today, like what does a lawyer actually do? And let's say that let's say that you're on the come up right now and you're an influencer and, you know, you were sitting at 50,000 subscribers for a while on YouTube and then bam, all of a sudden you got 500k out of nowhere. Then you got a million, then you got 1.5 you know, getting someone like you on board can help because they might be getting five hundred dollars sponsorships right now. Then all of a sudden, that goes to ten thousand dollars sponsorships, and then it goes to if you want Ninja to sneeze into a tissue on a stream, you know, you're gonna have Same to be out, yeah, you're gonna have to be forking out two hundred k. Like, thanks, Kleenex is a really good tissue. So, you know, those are the kind of times then you need to really understand, you know, how you can protect yourself. And I understand that it, it can be scary sometimes, and it can look expensive when you look at you know movies and you know every lawyer in the movies get paid three thousand dollars an hour and they you know do that while they're my having a coffee a little bit less than that so a little bit less but i think it's about you know i think it's about setting up and and i'm you know a stingy person a lot in the past and that comes to my parents who are you know i'm very frugal like to save money i only wear black clothes this kind of drive a cheap car that kind of stuff But I think it's important to spend where it matters. And I I distinctly remember the pain of working with my accountant for the first time to set up my companies, and I spent like five grand of my own savings to set up my my trust and, you know, as a trustee, and I set up my parent company and my other companies, you know, provide all that protection. But... Mm -hmm. There was a reason for that and he kind of explained it throughout the whole time. Like, these are legal reasons why you set this stuff up and and here are the tax reasons why you set this stuff up exactly. and here are the protection reasons why you set that stuff up. And when you can have that stuff like adequately explained to you, it turns, it starts off being like the hell you want me to pay $5,000 to being like, okay, that makes sense because I'm trying to raise some capital and make a billion dollar business. Like I probably should set this up. Probably should spend 5k on an accountant. If exactly. I want to 000, see
1: that, that's the thing that a lot of people really have to understand that like, yeah, it may suck to spend $1,500 on a trademark to protect your team name or your gamer tag or your brand name. But yeah. everything that you do is based on your team name and your gamer tag and your brand name. So if you don't protect it properly from the beginning and make sure that there's not confusingly similar marks by doing a search and, you know, do Mm -hmm. these different checks to make sure you can actually own and use the name the way you want, you can run into issues. And, you know, the worst situation, you know, just to kind of end everything is you spend all this time and money and you build up a great social media and you're ready to kind of rev it up. Then you get one of these nice letters from someone you never heard of. Thing, oh, you know, we've been using it before, or, oh, we have a registered trademark in it, or, you know, you're too similar to our mark, and, you know, cease and desist, you mm. know? And if they're right, which, you know, most of the time they probably are, you know, because you're really not going to really just hire a lawyer to send a letter and institute all of this stuff without some kind of reasonable basis, you know, you could open a real can of worms, and if you have to change your name and change, like, like, it could be a disaster. It could be game, set, match, point, because you didn't want to spend the fifteen hundred bucks, you know, to protect it early on, you know, when you started, or you didn't want to spend the three hundred, four hundred dollars to do, you know, the search to make sure the name you want is clear. You know, and a lot of people are like, Oh, well, like you said, it's five thousand dollars for my money. Well, I need it, I gotta get a website, I gotta it's like, yeah, you need all that stuff, but what is everything based on? Your name, you know, like the name. I like everything starts going back to these things and if you don't have someone that can really explain like, okay, like you need to make sure your name is protected if you're going to acquire social media accounts in it, if you're going to make products that have it, if you're going to kind of go into the public world and say, hey, this is me, you want to make sure that you own the name, especially if it's mm. a good name. You know, yeah. like if you come up with a great name for something, you want to make sure you can own that. Yeah. You know, and so. it,
0: happens, it happens so much in esports. I feel like every couple of weeks I see that meme that, you know, can I copy your homework and say, yeah, but just don't, you know, make it look a little bit different so it doesn't look like we're cheating. And, right? like, how had, many Renegades? There was a new, you know, Latin American team that launched called Renegados, I think it was, which I assume is, you know, Portuguese or Spanish for Renegades. And the logo was almost identical. <laughs> yeah. And you know, if you don't have that protected, that I think that's a really succinct way to explain it. Like, exactly what you said, right? You're like, you're putting all of your money into your brand, which is, you know, Nike, into the name Nike. And the swoosh. So why, you know, if you're going to spend untold millions of dollars in marketing or even in esports, if you're going to raise $10 million in capital and you're going to spend $100,000 on marketing your brand, which is not unrealistic, you should probably spend $1,500 to make sure that brand's actually yours. And that 100 grand that you spent isn't 100 grand that's spent on renegados in Brazil (laughs) to promote their brand, which will stop you from going probably to North
1: America. You know, I'm pretty sure that, you know, they have renegades for esports in America. Like they might not have it in certain Latin America countries or in the EU, but, you know, chances are they have it in the US, which will prevent your team from being called that in a US tournament. You know, it it will just really limit your ability to fully monetize things, Mm, mm. which is a shame because if you would have just known from the, okay, well, this Renegades has protection here and here and they're really big, maybe we should try something else. You will never know that.
0: Yeah, fantastic. All right, mate. Well, thanks for joining us today. It's good to have this into part one and part two. And for anyone listening, I will be on Justin's podcast as well coming up. If you want to give that a, a quick plug to anyone listening.
1: Yeah, you know, I have the esports biz show on prediction. It airs every Thursday. So again, follow me on Twitter, and you know, we're gonna be having Chris on as a guest, where we're we'll be able to flip the mics and hear a little <laughs> bit more about you know his esports experience and you know some of the matters that he's been touching on, you know, working with influencers and kind of consulting on behalf of these companies.
0: So yeah, be on fantastic. Well, cool, thank you. And thanks to everyone who's been watching live on LinkedIn, Twitch, watching the VOD or listening to the audio-only podcast. Thanks for watching, everyone, and we'll see you soon. Bye for now. Be safe. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg.